We're still here. First Kings, there's this passage about this mighty wind. But the Bible says God was not in the wind. We've seen a mighty wind. It's taken hundreds of lives. God was not in the wind. It talks about the earth quaking, shaking. But God was not in the quake. It talks about a fire. Here, if you've lived in, along the east coast of the America, you've, you've seen transformer after transformer go and cast millions into darkness. God was not in the fire. But Elijah went and stood to listen to a still, small voice that would instruct him toward greater ministry. That's why we're still here. And so I want you to listen this morning because God will teach you teach you about a ministry that remains for you. I've been saying for months because the Bible has said <laughs> since its inception that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are absolutely irreplaceable in the plan of God. God made you like you are precisely because he wanted to use you for a plan that he had for you and no one else can fulfill that role but you. No matter where you are in the world, you're not there by accident. You're there by God's strategy. We know that a good part of our purpose on this earth has to do with reconciliation, building bridges. We know that because it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, building a bridge so that he could get to us and we could get to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, bridge building. So we've been talking for weeks now about how that happens one conversation at a time, dwelling on the conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. And we said basically there are four stages in bridge building. The first stage, you remember, is to put down footers on each side of the chasm. You're on one side. You don't need to switch. You just need to know who you are. You need to know what you believe because you add a very valuable component in every relationship. But a bridge cannot be built from your perspective. You've got to go over to the other part, the other side of the chasm. You've got to cross the gap. And you got to put a footer down there. That means you have to listen to someone who you want to build a bridge to and learn from them and love them long enough that you can actually see the world from their perspective. You can see it as they see it. And then stage two is to lay what is called a stringer log, something that, that spans the gap, so to speak. And in Scripture, that's always the more that God has for you. Jesus said, you know, y'all got water, but I offer you living water. 
It's the more anybody wants to have, anybody would want to have. God wants more for your life than you have, and so do you. And so do they. What is the more that God has for us? Then the third stage is to lay down a flooring that people feel safe to actually use the bridge. You know, for any relationship to be built, for any depth of conversation, people have to feel safe in it, just like they are. When Jesus was talking with this woman, he never tried to gloss over who she was. He just helped her feel safe in that conversation. People have to be accepted just like they are, have to be loved just like they are, have to be respected just like they are. That's the third stage. Now here's the fourth stage. The fourth stage is that we have to keep reevaluating as we go along, looking for an opportunity, watch this, to get closer in order to go deeper. To get closer. See, you can, you can build the bridge, but unless somebody crosses it, unless you cross it, you'll never get closer. You never get closer to God, you never get closer to each other. And so we have been for weeks now thinking of people who we need to start a conversation with just to listen and to learn, just for the sake of relationship. Not for the sake of manipulation, not for the sake of uh, our goal for their life, just for the sake of getting closer. 7,000 conversations are happening right now. And they aren't, there's more than that. Because there are plenty of people that didn't put up a clothespin. Who are saying, I need to have a conversation. So let's go on in this scripture. This won't take long. But it'll be very important. You need to hear what comes next. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 27, at this point, his disciples came. You know, they'd been in town looking for food. And they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? Now, just a second here. You remember the gap. There's no sense in just trying to build a bridge unless you recognize the gap. Jesus forged four gaps that day. The gender gap. See, it wasn't, it was not only not customary, it wasn't allowed for a man to speak to a woman in public and especially when allowed for a rabbi to speak to a woman. Not allowed. Jesus didn't care. There was a gap of race. Jewish Samaritan. There was a gap of culture. There was a gap of religion. All kinds of gaps. Here's what the disciples were smart enough to know. You know, if Jesus wants a conversation, there must be a reason for it. So they didn't say anything. They thought it. They didn't say anything. They had to face their own 
obstacles in their life. We have to face the own our own obstacles. Why wouldn't I talk with this person? There's an obstacle there. There's a blockage there. But if Jesus wants that conversation, that obstacle turns into an opportunity. That's really important. It goes on to say this. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, <laughs> stop right there. This is a woman who has been so shamed and so used and so abused by the men in this town. She's been married five times. The one she's now living with is not her husband. This is not an ordinary woman. This is a woman who has been through hell. Some of her own making, but hell nonetheless. And she goes into town and starts talking to the men. These men who have despised her, have looked down upon her. She's, what in the world is happening? She said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things I've done. This is not the Christ. Is it? What in the world? got into her that she would take that kind of boldness, take that kind of initiative. Who did she think she was? Somebody worth saving. <laughs> Somebody worth saving. You know, I know a whole lot of you who have disqualified yourself for ministry. God can't use me, you say, because I've done this. God can't use me because I'm not worthy. Who said you're not worthy? Jesus never did. That voice is not the voice of Jesus in your head. I want you to understand something here. This woman was a survivor. You're survivors. Whatever you've been through, you're still here. You're still standing. You're a survivor. And God uses that strength. You see, Jesus didn't talk to this woman just because he was being kind. He talked to her because he was being strategic. He knew her strength just as he knew her background. He knew that when she got cleaned up inside, she'd want to tell everybody she knows. <laughs> and that's exactly what she did. And do you know why they listened? Because of what she'd been through. You are not disqualified. You are pre-qualified. You are pre-qualified. God has fitted you for a mighty Ministry because of what you've been through. You've gone through hell and you didn't stop because you're still here. You are qualified for ministry. People will listen to you because of the hurts you have endured and you're still here. <laughs> it says in Luke chapter 22, Simon, Satan has asked to, sis, to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith 
may not fail. And that when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. I want you to see those words. It wasn't just Peter that was sifted. Satan has demanded to sift all of you. He sifts all of you. But Jesus prays for you that your faith may not fail even when you do. When you turn back, use that strength. Then it goes on in John chapter 4, starting with verse 31. It says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. See, they'd gotten some food. But Jesus saw an opportunity here. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? (laughs) Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. I want you to see what happens here. You see, Jesus is taking the conversation to an unusual level, to a deeper level. Most of us just have casual conversations about practical things. But all of us are still here to have conversations that go deeper. We need to look for opportunities in order for those conversations to go deeper. We need to put aside just for a second the comfort level of both our bodies and our discourse and look for an opportunity to go deeper. If you're trying to have one of these conversations, God will open up an opportunity and you step into it. Don't force it. Don't force it. This isn't your agenda. This is God's movement. This is God's movement. So you got to wait for him in order to show you. You know where that word by opportunity comes from, by the way? There's, there's, there's an old, hundreds of years ago, when they built harbors, they built them so that ships could only reach them during high tide. There were, there were reasons for this. And so a ship that didn't get there at the right time, ship that got there at the, at the low tide, would have to stay out in the, the fairly deep. And, and, and they were abporta. Abporta, opportunity. They were offshore. They were out of port. So they were abporta. And then when the sea would rise, they could come in. It puts me in mind of a, of a, a Shakespearean quote out of Julius Caesar. Remember when Brutus was talking with Cassius and, 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 and they were wondering when they should, when they should um, go ahead and, and execute their plans. And, and, and Brutus says, there is a tide in the affairs of men that taken at the flood leads to fortune. And we must observe the current or our ventures will fail. God 
will open up a space. Just be alert for what God is giving you and step into it. And then you'll have to do something rather unusual. You know, I, I like to, I, I, I read a lot. And, and, and one of the things I've done of late is I've taken some of the old classics, some of the deep Christian philosophy and ethics, and I put alongside some of the writing of these new young upstarts, upstarts in, in ministry, which I truly enjoy. They're smart, smart guys. And so this week I was reading both concurrently, going from one book to the other, Reinhold Niebuhr. You know that, some of you know that name, Yale guy, got a string of doctorates as long as your arm, brilliant guy, he's, 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 he's gone to be with the Lord now, um, favorite, the president's favorite uh, um, um, ethicist. Um, and and he, he wrote a book he, called Children of Light and Children of Darkness. And, and I'm also reading Seth Godin, who's you know, there's one of these young ministry, just go get them guys, you know, and so on and so forth. Niebuhr says this, you know why we're in the shape we are? Not because the children of darkness have taken over, but because the children of light were so naive. The children of light did not understand the depth of our tendency towards self-indulgence, self-focus, in other words, original sin. The people who are the good people, who, who, who want for God to reign on this earth, don't think things through or take things seriously. And then Seth Godin says this, you know who really is changing the world these days? People who don't buy into the old paradigm of management labor. He calls them lynchpins, lynchpins. He says it's people who are bright but are gonna do something creative to really make a change. And I combined those two in my mind because I was, I was thinking about this message and I was thinking, you know, there gotta be people who break out of the usual conversation. They don't disrespect it, they just break out of it. And they take seriously what is before them to change the level of conversation they're having with people. People need that. We all need that. And we need to do it when God provides the opportunity. This is what, um, um, oh gosh, I just lost his name. Uh, anyhow, I think I have it written down here. What's his name? Ravenhill, Ravenhill said, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. We need to be, we need to be open to the Spirit of God as we're having our conversations. And when somebody says something that allows us to go into a spiritual conversation, and by the way, if you say, I don't know how to have a spiritual conversation, voila, this, this is a tool that will help you out. I've said this to you before. I'll keep, I'll keep pumping this book because it's absolutely marvelous. It's called God's Space, where spiritual conversations happen naturally. And it gives you a whole lot of ways just to introduce a spiritual conversation. Not to manage it, just to introduce it, just to go deeper. And we have this in the, in the bookstore, of course. But, but the point is this, that... that 
Jesus recognized. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 9, verse 4, this is what he says. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one could work. In other words, look for the, an opening for God to have the God conversation. And you will introduce something into their lives that they don't, that they don't have. And don't worry about what, what am I going to say? This will tell you how to, lead, how to lead into it, but don't have a bunch of formula stuff that you're trying to work into the conversation. That's not a conversation. That's a presentation. This is what, this is what Jesus says to us, Luke 12, 12. Don't worry, for, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. God will guide you. God will guide you. So he's having this conversation, not only with the woman at the well, but with his disciples. That's the key. They were in as much need of the conversation as the woman at the well. Now, let me finish it up. It says in John chapter four, verse, starting with verse 35, do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. You know what was happening? This is literally true physically. This woman went and talked to these men. Just said, you want, you want something more for your life? I want you to just know what just happened to me. And you know it must be something significant or I wouldn't even be talking to you. And her profound weakness convinced them that God must have done something. So they're all coming out. Do you know what they're wearing? White. That's what color most of the, most of the robes were back then. So they're coming across the green fields and Jesus says, lift up your eyes and, and no, go back, go back. It says, it says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. There were literally townspeople coming out wearing white. They were white for harvest. And then he says something really cool. Go to the next. Okay. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering the fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may, be, may rejoice. See, joy, Jesus sowed into her life. And she reaped. For in this case, the saying is true, one who sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. This is what Jesus needs for all of us to understand. When we initiate a conversation with someone about spiritual things, God's been there before us. We're not the first one to talk to them about important things. You know, us old Methodists talk about prevenient grace. That is, God got there way before we did. Don't feel like you have to initiate, like, like you know, they, they have no idea about spiritual things before you got there. Even an atheist has had a sense that there's something more than reason. Even an atheist has felt the stirrings of God. I know this because I've had these conversations with atheists. And they're just hoping they're right. But they kind of know they're not. 
Paul put it like this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So this is what we have to remember. No hero or initiator goes alone. Even if you are alone in the conversation, you're not alone in the conversation because other voices have been there to assist you. I told you last week I loved old cowboy movies. I was raised on old cowboy movies. Every old cowboy, old, old cowboy hero had a sidekick. You met, seriously. You remember uh, Cisco Kid? His, his sidekick was Poncho. Oh, Cisco. Oh, Poncho. Remember that? Remember Roy Rogers? His sidekick was Dale Evans, his wife. Remember Hopalong Cassidy? He had several sidekicks, Gabby Hayes and others. And of course, Lone Ranger and Tonto. Poor Tonto. He just got beat up for Lone Ranger. But the point is that they, they didn't, none of them did it alone. Neither do we. Neither do we. We're not alone. And we are never not needed. I know some of you think, well, you know, if a majority of the church does that seven times, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm kind of, you know, I, but I can't. No, if you're not there, you're missed by God. You're missed. I heard this story once. I'll, I'll close with this. I heard this story about this uh, this guy who was driving down an old country road and he saw one of these little old, um, you know, um, gas stations with one of those Coke, those red metal Coke things out in front, Coke coolers, you know. So he needed gas, so he pulled off and got some gas and he went over to that metal thing, got, him, got himself out of Coke and did that with that cap, you know, remember those? And then he just went and leaned against the car and, and he watched these, these two guys across the street. And one would dig a hole, you know, pretty significant hole, and then go, you know, 10 feet, dig another hole. And the other one was, no, oh, I don't know, 20 feet behind him. And pretty soon he'd come and just fill in the hole, you know? And then after this guy got done, he's filled in the hole. Well, the guy was so curious. So he finally, after he got done with his coke, he went over and said, what are you doing? He said, we're working. And she said, he said, for who? He said, government. <laughs> and he said, well, this is ridiculous. This is a total waste of the taxpayer money. I mean, you're just digging holes and filling them in. He said, oh, no, 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 no. Usually there are three of us, you know. Jesse digs the hole and Sam puts in the tree and I fill it up. <laughs> Sam was sick today. But we didn't think we ought to miss work. <laughs> how, much, how much are you missed when you don't have these? No, this is true. We need everybody. We need everybody. And Jesus, just to put a cap on it, said this. Remember in the high priestly prayer in John 17, where he wanted us all to be one, even as he and the Father are one. He wanted us to work together, labor together, mission together, 
Because that's what being closer to God is. Being closer to God is not about being more emotional. It's not about being um, more uh, knowledgeable. It's not even about being better behaved. Being closer to God means being closer in a relationship with him and with each other. And he wants us to do it together. And he said to, to us, as you have sent, he said to God, as you have sent me, also I send them into the world. 